The puppy you listen to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnv.org or on Instagram and Facebook, Mountain View Church. And I learned a little bit about small dogs, about how small dogs sometimes take longer to train than big dogs. And I'm like, ugh, when will this dog ever sleep through the night? I wonder if Paul felt something similar when he thought about the Corinthians. I wonder how frustrated he was about the gospel he had preached to them and the expectations that he had for the church in Corinth. We see something of Paul's desire for them as we jump into chapter 3 today. Chapter 3, verse 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, reads this way. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Father, bless the simple, simple reading and hearing of your word today. Holy Spirit, we know that you inspired it and we know that you must reveal what's here to us. So we submit ourselves to you and we ask in these next moments together as we unpack this passage that you would open hearts, you would open minds, you would open ears and open eyes and that you would enable us, Father, not only to understand through your spirit, but to receive and to accept 
and to say, yes, Lord, whatever you would have me to do, however you would have me to respond, I desire to do that. May those be, may those be the kinds of responses characterized in this room this morning. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as Christians, God wants us to grow. In fact, God expects us to grow. But here's the reality. Sometimes we get stuck. At least if you're like me, you do. Sometimes we find ourselves going nowhere spiritually. When that happens, you and I need to be able to diagnose why. This morning, my points are going to come to you in the form of questions. And I, and I hope these kind of diagnostic questions help us to do just that, to determine maybe why it is we're stuck. And I'm going to take these questions directly out of this passage this morning because it's, it's clear as we continue to make our way through 1 Corinthians that there was not only something wrong in terms of the divisions among the people of God there. There was something wrong internally in terms of them kind of being stuck and not growing, not becoming all that God wanted them to be. So the first question is this, and we're going to see this really in the first paragraph of chapter three this morning. Are you and I looking for the right kind of growth? Are you and I looking for the right kind of growth? Now, <clears throat> what do I mean by that? All right, it's clear right here in chapter three from verses one through verse four that the Corinthian Christians were still living as if they were what Paul calls mere natural people and not spiritual people. Now, that connects the dots directly back to the passage we looked at last week. Remember how Paul said that there was a difference between the natural person, the person devoid of the work of the Spirit, and the spiritual person. A spiritual person in Paul's mind and thinking and writing is simply a person indwelt by the Spirit, a person who now has the spiritual ability through the Holy Spirit to understand, accept, and live out spiritual truth. So Paul says here in this first paragraph, in fact, because of the divisions in the church, the church in Corinth was acting not like spiritual people, but like what? Natural people. That's exactly right. They weren't becoming the people they should have been becoming had the gospel really been working and weaving its way into every area of their lives like it should. Now, here's what's incredibly important for us to note up front. Paul did not measure their lack of maturity by their lack of knowledge, all right? In fact, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 5, Paul praised God that the believers in Corinth had been enriched in every way in all speech and all knowledge. So theological knowledge, understanding of the gospel wasn't a problem. Paul said that by God's grace, they had been given all knowledge. Notice also that Paul didn't measure their immaturity by their lack of spiritual gifts. 
Again, go all the way back to the introduction. In chapter 1, verse 7, Paul had already given thanks to God that these believers had been blessed as a church with how many of the spiritual gifts? Do you remember? All of them. Every single one of them. And not only did he not measure their immaturity by their knowledge of their, or their spiritual gifts, he didn't measure their immaturity by their lack of teaching or their lack of teachers. After all, the Corinthian church had been taught by some of the very best that the early church had to offer. Paul himself, Peter, Apollos, all of these men, these great men of the faith and these men of great ability to teach the word of God had come to them at one point or another and had taught them. And so Paul says in that introduction that the Corinthian church was a church that lacked nothing in terms of spiritual knowledge or spiritual experiences or spiritual gifts or spiritual leaders to follow, they lack nothing. And yet, what does Paul say in verse 1 of chapter 3? I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, as babies, as People who weren't acting like they had been given the Holy Spirit. And I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. They had everything a church or church leadership could possibly dream of, okay? Knowledgeable people, gifted people, access to the very best spiritual leadership. And yet they were infants in Christ. They were spiritual babies. Now why? If it wasn't their lack of knowledge or their lack of gifts or their lack of leadership, why? What was going on in the church at Corinth that was preventing them from growing, preventing them from becoming all that God wanted them to be? Look at what Paul says in verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for that. And even now, you're not ready. Why? For you are still of the flesh. And here comes the specifics. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? Now, Paul comes right back around to where he began this first argument by reminding them of the, the divisions that exist in the church. Right? Remember, basically, these fan clubs that had developed along the lines of particular teachers that people found impressive or important or that they had linked themselves to. Essentially, those divisions had caused jealousy, strife, friction in the congregation. And those things were reflective of really their character, which hadn't been transformed by the Spirit of God. They, they weren't growing because they weren't in step with the Spirit from God, the Spirit that God had freely given them. In other words, instead of submitting themselves to the Holy Spirit, they were still submitting themselves 
to their own self-centered desires and letting those self-centered desires run rampant in their church. That's why they were characterized by jealousy and by strife, meaning by infighting, by arguing with one another over who the best teacher was and why being connected with that teacher was the best. Now in Galatians chapter 5, Beginning in verse 16, Paul really shows us two different lives, two different kinds of lives that map right onto this passage in 1 Corinthians. Okay, watch this. Beginning in verse 16 of Galatians 5. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh or the natural person are evident. Watch this. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Notice the contrast, right? The contrast is between those who walk according to the natural person, according to the flesh, according to simple human desires that are given sway in our lives to run rampant. And on the other side of the coin, giving sway or walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And really, y'all, that's the other side of the coin, okay? Last week, I hammered home the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. And it's clear from the previous passage that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals spiritual truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables spiritual understanding. The Holy Spirit is also the one who enables us to accept spiritual truth, but you and I have to submit ourselves to the Spirit's work in our lives. Otherwise, we remain immature. No matter what knowledge, gifts, spiritual experiences, or teachers that we claim to have. That's exactly where the Corinthians were. They had been given the Spirit. Through the Spirit, they had been given the truthfulness of the gospel. They had been given the ability to understand and accept these spiritual things, but they weren't walking in step with the Spirit. They were indulging sinful desires. And here's the thing. Spiritual growth, not only for them, but for us, it isn't measured by how much you and I know. Okay? It's not measured by how gifted we are, even when it comes to spiritual gifts. And it's not measured by the number and the intensity of spiritual experiences that we've had 
or by the number and spiritual giftedness of the teachers we've sat under. No, spiritual maturity is measured by character maturity. Spiritual maturity is measured by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that shows up, just as Paul describes it, in Galatians 5. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And notice that those aren't separate things. No, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's like a cluster of grapes. The, the fruit of the Spirit is this cluster of things. And so when the Spirit works in our lives, as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we give sway to His work, it's our character that begins to transform. So that we're not characterized anymore as the Corinthians were by jealousy and strife and those kinds of fruits of the flesh. Instead, we're characterized by love and joy, and all of the other fruits that go with the Spirit. This is the reason, by the way, that Paul says what he does about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, that's a long way off yet, but when we get there, you're going to see how it fits. Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove all mountains, but have not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Exactly right. This also means that other measures of maturity are terrible measures of maturity. But we can easy, easily fall prey to these things, okay? We shouldn't ever think of ourselves as growing because our theological knowledge is increasing. If our biblical and theological knowledge is increasing, it should be doing so because we increasingly love God and want to know God more. After all, when you love someone, you want to do what? Get to know them. And we should never think of ourselves as growing because our church has and practices all the spiritual gifts. No, the question is, is our character looking today a little bit more like Jesus than it did yesterday? That should be the result of our Spiritual knowledge, that should be the result of the practicing of the spiritual gifts among us is the fruit of the Spirit evident in our hearts, in our lives, and in our spiritual family. First question, are we looking for the right kind of growth? Second question, are we relying too much on others for our growth? Now, assuming a normal growth pattern, all right, infants should reach a stage in life where they're able to feed themselves, right? 
Okay? Now, let's admit something. If you've lived with older kids or teenagers for any length of time, you know that they would rather you make food for them than they make food for themselves. Even though they know what's in the refrigerator just like you do, and just like you do, if they're old enough, they can actually cook it for themselves. But it's much easier to say, Mom, will you do this? Dad, will you make me this? I've learned, by the way, to say, nope, you can do it yourself. But if a normal growth pattern holds true, infants should reach a stage in life where they're able to feed themselves. Now, it should also be so among Christians. Here's the thing. Because the Christians in Corinth were aligning themselves with various teachers, it certainly seemed to Paul like they didn't understand the role of those teachers and the role of God in spiritual growth. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. He says, okay, let me make sure we're all on the same page here. What, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. That's it. And then he goes on to offer this analogy, right? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, just so we're clear here, Apollos, Paul, Peter, myself, Justin, anyone who teaches you the word of God, servant. That's it. Who gives the growth? Who gives the growth? Who gives the growth? God gives the growth. Teachers are servants. God gives the growth. Now, I'm afraid, like the Corinthian church, too many Christians want a pastor or an author to spoon-feed them. Let me say that again. Too many of us are way too dependent on servants to feed us when if we're mature at all, we ought to be feeding ourselves and trusting God to grow us. Too many Christians are dependent on a pastor to tell them what to think, why to think it, and what to do with what they think. And as a result, they become too dependent on those teachers rather than God and His Spirit. Now, okay? There's a qualification here, and I said it last Sunday, and I'm going to say it again. Faithful teachers are a gift from God for the health and the growth of the church. But they become a hindrance. I become a hindrance to you when you depend upon me for your growth rather than depending on God who gives the growth. Being spoon-fed is important when you're young in the faith. It's vital, okay? Making disciples requires that you and I come alongside those who are new to this thing called the Christian life. 
and that we teach those who are new to this thing how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to respond in obedience to God. Y'all, it is incredibly important that we teach those young in the faith about the importance also of the local church and the basic content of what we believe as Christians. Without that important foundation, a lot of young Christians flounder. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. But here's the other side of that coin. At some point, you got to grow up. This means you and I have to begin taking responsibility for our own growth. It also means at some point that you've got to go from being spoon-fed to doing what? Feeding others. You got to put on your work gloves. You got to put on your work boots. You got to get out there in the field alongside Paul and alongside Apollos. And you got to take your place working the soil, planting the seeds, watering them. Now, don't hear me say that you and I ever, ever outgrow our need for the local church for spiritual leadership or for the spiritual gifts that God has given other people that we might be built up in the faith. That's never the case, okay? God has put those people around us in order to help us grow. But listen, listen to what the writer of Hebrews told the believers to whom he was writing. This comes from chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Sounds very similar to what Paul's saying right here. For For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But for solid food is for the mature. For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Did you catch what the writer of Hebrews says? He says, though by this time, some of you ought to be giving away what you've been given. Some of you ought to come off the spoon feeding and begin feeding others. Now look, this doesn't mean that every person in the body of Christ has the gift of teaching. But it does mean, it does mean that our growth should follow a progression from milk to solid food, from spoon feeding to feeding ourselves and feeding those who come behind us. Now, perhaps... Perhaps you're stuck today in your own growth. Perhaps you're not growing because you're too dependent on others to feed you rather than learning to feed yourself and feed others. Perhaps you're not growing because rather than being spoon-fed, you need to take up the word of God and you need to get alone with God and you need to ask God to feed you. It's time to start giving away what you've been given. It's time to take your place, as I said, among the servants in God's field. The reality is that remaining dependent 
only on the pre-digested meals that I regurgitate to you every week will not lead you to maturity. Now that's a pretty picture, isn't it? But that's what you're getting. Because I've spent time studying the word, I've spent time soaking it in and attempting to learn what it says and have God affect my own heart with it. And I'm back there and I'm trying to prepare this meal and I'm eating it and then I'm going. Right? I promise you, (laughs) you will never get full off of that. Take that picture with you. Thank you and you're welcome. (laughs) The point is this. Preaching alone does not disciples make. Preaching alone does not disciples make. If you only ate once a week, you would not survive. Some of us would survive longer than others. But you wouldn't survive long. You got to eat from the scriptures. As you grow, you got to learn to go there yourself. Third question. Are we building on the right foundation with the right materials? Paul uses three different analogies in this passage, okay? But they all share a central theme. The theme of growth. A human being grows from an infant to a what? An adult. A plant grows from seed to mature fruit-bearing vine or tree. A building grows out of a collection of materials that are put together in a particular way with particular skills. That's where Paul goes next. Verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you've built anything, anything at all, you know that it's not only a matter of skill, it is that, and Paul says that, But it's also a matter of the materials you use. If you want a quality building, you got to use quality materials. The same is true in the Christian life. Growth and maturity are God's to give, but they're the result of the right use of the right materials as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Paul says here that we don't have any hope of growing if we don't get that right and if we don't begin from the foundation and build up from there. The foundation, according to Paul, is who? Jesus Christ. He says there's no other foundation but him and God is building up his church in and through Christ. Here's the bottom line. A church that is founded on rooted in and built upon the solid rock of Christ will not falter and fail in the end. It doesn't matter 
what kind of stuff you put on top of a shoddy foundation, if the foundation falters, it's not going to last. It's going to come crumbling down. This means that you and I, you and I have to stay connected to and grounded in Jesus if we're going to grow. We have to connect everything we're doing, all that we're building on the rock-solid foundation of Christ. Now, Jesus called this abiding. And he talked with his disciples about it in John chapter 15. Now, what, is to, what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that we make our home in him. We build our lives on him. We recognize that he is the life source, the foundation, and that we cannot hope to grow or produce any kind of spiritual fruit apart from him. As a church, you and I recognize that we cannot hope to become the, the building, the dwelling place, the temple of God that God intends us, to, intends us to be apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So it all starts with the foundation, but, but the building materials are important too. Look at verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because ultimately it's going to be revealed. It's going to be revealed on that final day when God comes in salvation and in judgment. It's going to, it's going to be revealed when the fire of that day discloses it and only the buildings built out of solid materials will be able to make it through the fire what Paul says. He says the fire will test what sort of work each one, each servant has done. This means that folks, if we're going to have a growth that lasts, which Paul desired among the Corinthians, we not only have to start with the right foundation, we have to build with the right materials. And no one, well, I'm not going to say no one, most people don't just haphazardly throw a structure together out of poor building materials and expect it to last, much less survive the kind of fire that's going to come on the last day at the very end of time. But here's Paul's argument. Paul's goal is a house that lasts People who are strong in the Lord. People who are strong in the power of the might of the Lord. People who make it all the way to the end of the road. So maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you're not growing because you're going at this whole thing in a haphazard, undisciplined way. Maybe you're not growing because you're you're not paying attention to the materials that you're using to build your life. Maybe you're not growing because you're, you're not concerned about becoming the kind of person who lasts. Maybe you're, maybe you're just living for today. And you're building your life around what you can get out of today without a thought for eternity. You see, if you want to build a life fit for eternity, you've got to be able to see the shack you're living in for what it is 
and come to terms with the fact that there's someone out there with more contracting experience than you have. Someone who can teach you and show you how to build a life that lasts. Who is that? Who is it? Exactly. What did he say in Matthew chapter 7 at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount? Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Again, there's this distinction, right? It's the same distinction from Galatians 5, the natural person and the person walking in step with the Spirit. It's the difference between the person who builds their house on a foundation of sand. The storms come, the waves crash against it. Does it last? No. But Jesus says, the person who builds their life upon Him invites his spirit to come and to dwell within. That person is strengthened against the waves. That person is strengthened against the storm. Why? Because that person is built on the solid rock foundation of Jesus and his words. So what kind of building materials are you using to build your life? What's under your feet today? What are you standing on? Maybe you're not growing because you're frankly standing on quicksand and you're sinking faster than you can pull yourself up. Folks, only the foundation of Jesus is lasting and solid and only the foundation of Jesus will give you what you need to build a life that lasts. Final question is this. Maybe you're not growing because you've forgotten who you are. Have Have we forgotten who we are? Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right. So it's pretty clear that the house that Paul has in mind in this passage is the temple. And more importantly, the church as the dwelling place of God. So Paul kind of closes out this little argument by reminding the Corinthians of who they were. If they were going to grow, they had to remember that they had God's spirit living within them. They had to remember that they were the dwelling place of God, that they might then become all that God wanted them to be. You see, if they were the temple filled with the spirit of God, then they needed to begin living like God was living among them and in them. 
many times, you and I have to be reminded of the same theme. We have to be reminded of our God-given identity in Christ. Maybe you have to be, maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. Brother, sister, maybe you've forgotten who you are. Maybe you're not growing because you've forgotten that the very spirit of God dwells in you, that you are a saint, a set apart one, that you now have the power within through the present spirit to understand, to receive, to accept spiritual truth and to walk in the way of holiness. Maybe you've forgotten that you've been set free, set free now to serve God. Maybe you've forgotten that the very power of God dwells in you to help you do that. Maybe you're not growing because you've let other voices crowd out the voice of the indwelling spirit. And you need to clean house this morning. I mean that in kind of a literal way. If so... What might house cleaning look like for you today? Maybe it's time this morning to allow the Holy Spirit access to those rooms in your heart that you've kind of kept padlocked. Maybe it's time to take those do not disturb signs off of those locked doors and surrender yourself to the Spirit's work. Maybe it's time for you to surrender the keys to the house and allow the Lord to take over and to make you into the dwelling place he wants you to be. Now we're right back around again to the very beginning of the passage. We're right back around again to taking Galatians 5 and mapping it right onto this passage. You and I may have the spirit of God, but the question is, are we submitting to and surrendering our daily lives to that spirit? If you're a Christian, you are God's temple and his spirit lives within you. Therefore, I want you to hear this. You can turn things around. You don't have to be today what you were yesterday. You don't have to do the same things. You don't have to think the same thoughts. You don't have to give in to the same old habits. You don't have to give in to the same old destructive thoughts and emotions that are tearing you apart and that are tearing your relationships apart, just like they were in Corinth. You can live differently as you submit yourself to the Spirit of God who dwells within you. 